Hi, and welcome to a podcast from Hope Springs Church Coventry. For more, please find us on Facebook at Hope Springs Church or on Twitter, we're at Hope Springs Cobb. Thank you and enjoy. <laughs> um, yeah, Father, we just thank you. Um, just thank you for being who you are, Lord. We thank you that... Uh, whenever we turn to your word father that um you are so desperate to reveal something more of your glorious beautiful nature lord that uh as we behold you lord as steve said this morning that we're transformed from one degree of glory into another and father we we just pray lord as we open the scriptures this morning together and as we uh dialogue together and um as we search your word together that father you would um you'd spur us on in our journey as a community father you would um just leave us all with impressions and fingerprints from you father that enable us to pursue and to uh to um imbibe who you are holy spirit we pray this morning that you would just be with us as we as we speak father i pray that you'd be with us father as we um as we behold you again, Lord Jesus, we thank you and honour you for your presence amongst us, Father. And uh, we thank you that uh, I'm not going to go on for too long. Amen. <laughs> Bro, so um, if you want a, a title for the message, I, um, I stole one from um, a guy called William Shakespeare or some dude <laughs> like that. So um, I've called it uh, What's in a Name? Which, if you know the, the Shakespeare play Romeo and Juliet, um, the, 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 there's this uh, amazing scene where uh, Juliet uh, finds out that uh, the, this boy who she's fallen madly in love with um, is part of uh, the wrong family. And, uh, and she's saying to herself, uh, you know, she has this, this line which says, you know, would a rose by any other, by any other name smell as sweet. Um, and uh, I'm going to suggest this morning that maybe not. Um, so this sort of message um, is out of a context of where we've been as a community over this last few weeks um, which we've been hearing about being a Barnabas community and um, Steve sort of asked me to share this um, or expand on a a prophetic word that I'd have been carrying for uh, a number of weeks um, and felt to share probably about a month ago maybe five weeks ago um, and it was all around um, us as a, as a community being a community that, um, that names and renames. Um, and um, sorry to self-reference, um, uh, that's it's a little bit, um, <laughs> it feels a little bit uncomfortable doing that. But I, I did feel it was, a, it was something from um, the Holy Spirit. And there was, there was a, a sense in the prophetic word that I brought around um, us being a community that, that would name or rename places, people and circumstances that we connect to in our own worlds. Um, and that we would become a community that were known for conferring um, names. Um, on people, places, um, and circumstances, and I want to um, I want to spend a little bit of time in the in the scriptures. There we go. My microphone's gone. That um, a little a bit of time in the scriptures this morning, um, just sort of tracking through um, the the concept of naming and renaming 
um, in in the scriptures and, and how that um, how we see that emerge uh, very very early on in the scriptures and how we see that um, really finding its fulfilment in the life and the ministry of Jesus and then Paul as he um, opens up um, and uh, through the sort of the lens of Paul we see the the, the sort of community of the church uh, becoming that naming community um, and then I want to hopefully end up sort of tying it into the whole Barnabas community. Um, name that essentially we've been given over the last few weeks and what that means for us um, and some of the things that I just felt impressed um, by the Holy Spirit that we're going to become um, some of the names or some of the hallmarks of the name that our community um, or that's emerging in our community. So I hope that's all right. Good. So um, if you've got your Bibles, um, we're going to go to the very beginning. So we're going to go to uh, the book of Genesis. which is either because it's very important or because I just didn't have a lot of time and I turned to the first bit of the page, so I'll let you um, decide which one it was. Um, so I just I want to read the... Um, what do I want to read? The whole of the first chapter and then just make some real brief connection points and comments um, and, and link it to the first bit of, um, of chapter two. So uh, here we go. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light was good, and he separated light from darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And uh, there was evening, and there was morning on that day. Then God said, let there be um, an expanse in the midst of the waters. Let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse. And it was so. God called the expanse heaven and there was evening and there was morning a second day. This is verse 9. Then God said, Let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And so it was. God called the dry land earth and the gathering uh, of the waters he called the seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding uh, seed and fruits on the trees of the earth bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them. And so it was. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind and the trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and there was evening and there was morning a third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them for the signs, let them be for the signs of the seasons and for the days and for the years. And let them be for the lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And so it was. God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser, night, uh, the lesser light rather to govern the night. He made the stars also. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. Uh, let's go just right to the end of that chapter then, verse um, 30. And every beast of the earth and to every bird in the sky and every living thing on earth that has life, I have given every green plant for food. And so it was. God saw all that he'd made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So I wanted to sort of begin the exploration around naming um, with just a real clear um, emphasis that 
naming is and was uh, and, and is part of the divine beginning. So God, or the, the writer of Genesis, reveals God in the very beginning as a, as a naming being. Um, so, you know, uh, we've heard a lot in the past, haven't we, in, in various forums around um, God's word and God declaring. But, but God, very simply, gives names to things. Um, and, and the beautiful thing about um, the the poetry in the book of Genesis is there is no incongruence between the name that God gives something and the function that that thing has. Um, you know, it's not like God called the sun sun and then it struggled to shine, you know. Um, the, the, the process of God's divine naming always confers the ability of that thing to do what he's called it to do. Um, and the, the beautiful thing about the naming that um, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit give is that um, in Genesis chapter 2, which is uh, no surprise, where he calls man from the dust uh, and he breathes life into the man. You read it in Genesis 18 to 20. Um, the very first thing that God uh, calls his beautiful creation, mankind, to do is to replicate this naming convention. So if you go to Genesis 2, um, 18. And the Lord said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. We'll do a controversial series on the helper one day, I'm sure. Uh, (laughs) Out of the ground, uh, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky, and he brought them uh, to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was his name. And and there's this amazing thing that God puts a man in in, in the earth, he puts a man in the garden, and his first... Uh, it's not naming, therefore, it doesn't just become part of the divine beginning, but it comes, becomes part of the divine mission. That, um, that the very first thing that God does with his son is he gives him the permission to confer a name on all, the, all these living creatures as the crown of creation and as the crown of um, all of uh, the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. It's Adam's job to give a name. And, uh, and there's that beautiful bit, uh, that we've just read there. It says, um, uh, da, 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 da. this is the last part of verse 19. Um, and, and God uh, brought them to man to see what he would call them. I just love that because there's this sense that this that God has introduced himself in this sort of cosmic created way in the, in the first chapter of Genesis, you know, and he's creating the stars and the moon and it's about, you know, one to govern the day and the other to govern the night. And, and very quickly it just centres right down on his son and it's, and it's this ex- sort of tangible excitement from the father that he waits to see what his son's going to call him and that will be his name. And, and I, I just love it because um, the expectation of this divine community in Father, Son and Spirit is that man would follow his example and there would be no incongruence between the thing that man named, the beast that, na- that man named or the bird that man named and the functionality that that thing would have. Um, and, and so naming is introduced in these very, very seminal opening parts of our scriptures um, as part of who God is and part of what God does and part of who man is and what man does. And um, it's, I would suggest to you that it's, it's the lens by which, um, you know, if we were doing a sort of homiletics and hermeneutics 
um, class we talk about the rule of first mention which is one of the seven classic rules of how to um, exposit the scripture and how to um, how to preach or teach or whatever and there's just something really significant um, suggested that when something's mentioned the first time it sort of gives its um, it gives its interpretation for the rest of the times that it's introduced throughout the scriptures um, and and so names in this sort of rule of first mention, if you will, um, are given real importance as to the the nature of a thing and the functionality or the purpose of a thing. I've got this beautiful quote from um, a um, a theologian called Spiza A. Ephraim. What a brilliant name! It is. That's a good name. I think you know. He thought banker, lawyer, theologian. Which one am I going to go for? He went for theologian, um, and. Uh, in, in his book, uh, Genesis, A New Translation, which essentially is um, a, um, a commentary on Genesis, but with a, uh, an eye to um, the Jewish tradition and um, it's the sort of... Uh, yeah, it's essentially that. Um, um, he says this, that names, um, therefore, were not mere labels, um, but speak to the nature and the essence of a given thing or being, which I just think is, is beautiful. And we, we sort of know that intuitively, don't we? Um, Ali and I are now four months pregnant. I look very good on it, I know. <laughs> um, but we are in that stage where we don't yet know what the sex of our new baby is going to be. Um, but we're starting to do that thing where you sort of kick around names and, you know, you start to be, you know, looking at the book. Well, Ali does a lot that a lot more than me and suggests lots of names and I do, mm, not sure about that. Um, but even in our own context, and in, in a, even in a Western context, which is... Um, I'd suggest uh, in our sort of material um, obsession, we're, we're, we're sort of more about what, how, you know, how things sound rather than what they mean. But even in, even in our own society, there's this, um, it feels like a heavy weight of responsibility mm. to find, you know, what is the name of this unborn child going to be? Um, and when we, when we had Esme, um, uh, Esme means uh, loved, means one that's loved. And... Um, we, we went back and forth on lots of names, but it was so significant for us because at the time, um, personally, in, in my own journey with God, and, and Ali can talk to her own journey with God, but personally for me, I was rediscovering that the love of God wasn't just uh, an aspect of God's being, but it was totally who he is and everything else is the fulcrum of everything else that sort of spins around, you know, all the rest of the things that we know about Jesus find and uh, know about God find their rest and their true meaning and fulfilment in this love of God. And so naming Esme love was a real important statement for me around um, our discovery of who God was in our family and, uh, and a statement of intent that actually Esme wouldn't have to wait until she was... Um, and how old, 29 or 30 at the time, to find out that that was the most important thing that she could know about her Heavenly Father. Um, so, yeah, so as sort of Ephraim points out, that this, the, the importance of the name is, is the identity that transpires from that naming. And um, there's a, a beautiful story which you'll know very well, it's very famous in Genesis chapter 17 where we see the first renaming of a character in the scriptures and um, it, it's our father in the faith you know Hebrews talks about Abraham being our father in the faith our father Abraham who um, God encounters in this incredible way and um, the whether or not he gives him a new name or whether or not he um, 
he draws him back to what his name, his original name is, I suppose is something that we could talk about, whether or not we ever really rename anything, whether we just actually find the true name to give the true identity. But Genesis chapter 17, if you've got your Bible, let's just turn there really quickly. Uh, this is verse... Well, let's, let's read from verse 1. Um, now, when Abraham was 99 years old, which appears to me quite a long time to wait to get a name that's going to propel you into the very reason that God's put you on the planet. But there we are. Something about patience for all of us, isn't there? Um, there's also something about in the economy of God that nothing's wasted, you know? Uh, that, it, that everything that happens in our lives, you know, and I, I find this more and more that the longer I walk with God, that everything that happens in our lives um, is useful in, in the hand of our Father, you know? Um, as Jeremy and Trish respond to the word that was brought to them earlier on, there's no sense in which there's a, there's a waiting for some miraculous, amazing launching into something that negates the rest of your life with God. What, what Steve was talking about is the, the way that you both display the heavenly community is and have displayed that heavenly community for however long you've walked with Jesus. It's part of the wonderful tapestry that is the Church of God and is the, is the, is the Kingdom of God. So anyway, that's the side point. But um, 17. Um, now when Abraham, Abraham rather, was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham, Abraham, sorry. It's very difficult, isn't it, to not say Abraham. I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you. I will multiply you exceedingly. Abraham fell on his face and God talked with him saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abraham, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and will make and I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and your descendants after you. I will give you and your descendants after you the land um, and all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. I will be their God. Which is beautiful rendition, isn't it, of what happens when... Uh, when a child really meets their father there's this sort of reorienting um, of Abraham's life and the sense making of everything that's happened to Abraham which um, you know we know a little from the chapters before but there's a sense making that happens um, that God draws all that fruit and uh, he in this moment he, he renames him and in that renaming he clarifies not just that there's going to be uh, you know, nations and, and Israel and ultimately the church and, uh, and there's this, uh, you know, being part of the line of Jesus, which is all incredible and for another time. But he, he reorients him to understand that um, his existence is connected to this divine beginning in his name. It's connected to the functionality. Um, he connects him back to his father, Adam, who gives name to um, all of creation that was um, Adam's experience. And in Abraham, um, there's this amazing sense that um, God connects via a renaming process, Abraham, to his ultimate intention and to the thing that God had 
put within him from the very beginning, which I think is just beautiful. You know, to my name of my title, What's in a Name? I think an awful lot, an awful lot's in a name from heaven's perspective. Um, it's not haphazard, um, but, it, it's, but within that, naming is, um, is everything that God had for Abraham and ultimately for us. We could go on and we could talk about Jacob, Israel, we could talk about loads of individual characters in the Old Testament and, and it might be really great, well it would be really great, I was thinking last night about the whole Jacob journey and thinking about, um, you know, Abraham's naming happened in a moment but even you see throughout his life he struggled with his real name and his former name, you know, way beyond God appearing to him and giving him that name. Um, it's the same with Jacob, you know. He, he, he was the twisted one um, and he became Israel. But his life, you see, the struggle. And, you know, it was very, very pictorial, isn't it, in that picture with Jacob because he's, he wrestles with God mm. and he leaves with the limp and all that kind of stuff. And it would just be great to explore one day um, that actually, um, as a community, bestowing a name and finding out your name, there's still very much a struggle in us um, in us living, living into that, I was going to say living up to, that's probably got the wrong connotations, but living, living that name, recognising who we are, not being squeezed into the world's mould as, as J.B. Phillips talking to us about. It might be great to think about um, a name being uh, a challenge as well as a blessing, but um, I'm not going to do that today. We're going to just flip right the way through into seeing how this comes into... Um, the lens of the new covenant and what it means you know was this just a crazy old tradition of you know sort of the eastern world um and actually you know was it done away with in the cross you know actually did it have no real significance or or is there something more to this naming um i want us to go to um the book of john because i want to suggest that this whole thing of names and naming isn't just connected with original intent, as in Adam, um, or even just sort of like restorative purpose, as in Abraham, um, but it's connected to the salvation mission, um, which is right the way from Genesis all the way through, but it's connected into this new community announcing the kingdom of God, the age to come, reorientating the world from, to borrow a phrase from Brian Zand, reorientating the world from the axis of retributive justice to the axis of a loving father. Um, There's something in the name which connects that. So, um, John chapter 1. So when we read the book of John, it's really uh, important to understand why John's written his, his gospel. Or make some suggestions as to as to why he might have written his, his gospel. Um, it's it's the most suggested by many people as the most uh, lacking in uh, practical detail of any of the gospels. John's paradigm is is arguing for, advocating for, proving the divinity of Jesus, and so the first. Um, chapter of John which just sort of explodes with cosmic purpose you know John starts with in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God he was with him from the beginning which um is a a beautiful phrase the one thing I do I was talking to Simon the other week about New Testament Greek which I I did 
foray into at university. Um, I don't remember any of it, but this one thing, um, which is that that when John talks about um, God being or Jesus or the Word being with God in the beginning, um, the, the 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 word um, which I can no longer pronounce um, is about being with, alongside, and face to face. That the Word was face to face with the Father in the beginning, um, and, and which is beautiful in itself, isn't it? It just pictures the kind of relationship that. <coughs> the Father has with the Son and therefore invites us into in the Trinitarian community that we've been brought into. Um, but this whole chapter, which sort of explodes with this amazing richness and purpose, um, in John chapter 1 and verse 42, um, Jesus, well from 35, Jesus um, converses with these these converts as it were and um he um he finds simon who later be called peter and um it only makes one comment about him in terms of jesus and it just says in verse 42 he brought him to jesus john so he brought him to jesus jesus looked at him and said you are simon son of john you shall be called cephas which means peter in John explaining that Jesus is from the beginning, the divinity of Jesus, placing Jesus in this uh, as not a good teacher and a prophet and all that kind of stuff, but placing him as the very thing that explains the Father, which is one of those verses, you know, Jesus said, I've come to explain the Father. Jesus coming full of grace and truth. There's this little cameo where Peter gets his name changed. Simon gets his name changed to Peter. Um, Now, because John's not that bothered about anybody else but Jesus, we don't really get to understand what it's about right here, but we can in the Gospel of Matthew. So if you go over to Matthew chapter 16, Matthew gives a bit more detail. He's perhaps got a bit more time. John always seems to me quite... He's very rushed to get to the point, which is brilliant. But um, sometimes we need some Matthews as well, don't we? Um, So Matthew chapter 16, verse 17. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. So if you remember, this is the bit where um, uh, Peter... um, and, uh, and Jesus are having a bit of a, a bit of a sort of tiff, you know, um, and uh, Simon uh, Peter rather is uh, trying to stop Jesus from fulfilling the um, the purpose for which he's been sent. Um, the He's asking him who he says he is. Uh, 17. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Um, And I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Um, Then he warned his disciples that that they should tell no one he was the Christ. Um, This sort of explains the reason for the renaming in a different uh, you know a different place in his life but um the renaming is connected to the community that's the bit i want to get to so this this peter it's not just the individual revelation that you're the son of god because he talks about he says blessed are you um simon bar jonah because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you um but i say to you that you're peter and on this revelation, I'm going to build the community 
of the new covenant. There's something about names which reach right back to Genesis around identity. And Jesus is making the point in this encounter with this one individual disciple of, of, who, the, of the, the, the name that Jesus is calling him, that it's connected with the whole church understanding the nature of the kingdom of God, which is pretty special, I think. Pretty special. In changing the one individual's name, it opens the way for the church of Jesus Christ to be born and established. Peter becomes one of the twelve, who one of the twelve apostles of the Lamb, who you know you will know from the rest of the New Testament, is integral in establishing this first community of Jesus. Because he's understood what his name is, it's given birth to this amazing, amazing uh, outpouring of the revelation of Jesus in the context of the community. It's connected, not just, I'm making the point I suppose, it's not just connected like Abraham and Abraham to the individual destiny of that person, you know. It's not just about, you know, sometimes we get a bit caught up in that, you know, and I've been in lots of church contexts where, I've been in some wacky church contexts, so um, you'll forgive me, but, you know, where people have been actually physically renamed, you know, and it's been all about their you know ministry and I you know you're going to be you know there's going to you know even if it's not an actual renaming it's like you know you're going to have a Joshua ministry or a you know you're going to have a, a Moses ministry uh, or whatever and and, it, and it's very rarely in the context of what that will do for anybody else but that individual you know other than having some really cool powers or something um, but in these both of these examples and, and, and Jesus just makes it so clear in, in the life of the church here that he gives names and purpose to individuals in the context of his redeemed community which is amazing and it's the the very thing that Steve's been talking about it's the body you know it's every part having its unique functionality every part having its unique name um, yeah so I, just, I want to take us to, to a sort of final bit of this little track and then maybe some share, share some thoughts about what for us then. But um, Paul, as he always does, manages, I think, to weave all of these threads together in the most beautiful way. Who, you know, we know by you know, himself uh, from um, Acts chapter 11, Paul receives a name change. You know, he goes from Saul to Paul. Um, and... Paul's revelation of the name is really spectacular. Um, if you go to Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason I bow my knee before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly beyond anything that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul roots 
all of the names that we've talked about and many more that we haven't touched on and maybe we will in subsequent weeks in the name of the Father. Every name that any person is given, whether apostles, whether patriarchs of faith, derives its name from the Father, Paul talks about, from whom the whole family on heaven and earth is named. Every name, therefore, is a reflection. Every, every name and therefore every bit of identity and therefore every bit of purpose and therefore every bit of plan of God associated with that name in the scriptures or the or person that we encounter is rooted in the family name that we have from heaven, the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Paul sort of ties all this up and he says, you know, my own name changed, my own experience on Damascus Road to turn me from a murderer to one of the greatest theologians, apostles, uh, writers, pastors of the New Testament is rooted in understanding the name of the family to which I've been born into, called from, my name derived from, my identity derived from, my purpose derived from. There is really only one name. There is really only one name. And so Paul's sort of making the point, as much as the poetry that Paul likes to use, he's making the point that naming is is rooted in the fatherhood of God. It's rooted in this sort of... uh, ministry of God's salvation plan you know it's not I'm making the point it's not disconnected it's not something that we do and it's like a cool thing that God does to give people a second chance you know or a cool thing that God does to um, give people a fresh start you know sometimes we do such violence to the gospel because we're talking to people about you know come to God and he'll forgive your sins and he'll wipe your slate clean come to God and find out the name that you were given before the foundation of the world in the context of this loving family that's the gospel that's the gospel. And, um, and Paul makes the point here that the whole of, um, the, whole of the, the stuff that he's talking about, so knowing the depth, the height, the breadth of the love of God, being filled to the fullness of, the, of, of God, you know, which is the uh, privilege of the church announcing to the rest of the world, is in this context of our family identity found in Father, Son, and in the Holy Spirit. It's our name... And us deriving that name and, and us, us sort of refracting, as it were, the, 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 the beauty and the light of God in capturing the individual name that reflects the name. Sorry for that very clumsy language, but is, um, is all about us recognising that we are part of this divine plan to announce this, the, the breaking in of this new age, which is all about... Uh, translating people from the darkness of the veil of uh, misunderstanding into the kingdom of his dearly loved son and that everybody has been reconciled to God through the work of Jesus Christ. Naming just becomes a, a focal point, a touch point in the announcement of that kingdom message which I think is beautiful and glorious. In the first creation, in Adam, uh, naming was all around functionality and all around original intent and identity. And in the second Adam, Jesus brings the name of the Father, the name of the Son and the name of the Spirit right back into the centre 
of humanity. You know, we, we lost our name, for one of a better phrase. We lost our name and the, the patriarchs and the heroes of faith in their encounters with Jesus, with, uh, well, yeah, with Jesus, with God, um, that we see as stories in the Old Testament get glimpses back into this family name and, and, and Jesus comes to reveal in all of its glory and all of its, all of its fullness what Paul says about the family on heaven and on earth being named in the name of the Father, which is just so beautiful. So, apart from that being really cool, <laughs> what does that mean for us as a community? Because um, sometimes we, you know, we, we get sort of carried away with our own our own sort of uh, excitement of things that we see in the scriptures, or you know, words that are brought to us, or you know, things that we read that other people more learned than ourselves open up to us but you know really unless unless it really has an impact on how we see God and therefore how we act differently it, it's just tickling our ears really so I wanted to spend some time thinking together about what what that really means and what our responsibility is um, having having had a revelation of Jesus who has the name above every name we're told Having had that revelation, what, what's, our, what's our responsibility and what's it all about for us as a community? Um, let me just tie it right back into what I said at the beginning um, with the Barnabas community. Um, because a Barnabas, the, the, the journey of Barnabas and, and uh, Saul and then Paul that Steve's really brought out such written, richness in in the, in the past few weeks um, has within it that significant name change. Mm. Um, and for us, we've been given the challenge and the, and the privilege of walking into being a Barnabas community. Um, and when Steve was, was preaching the other week uh, from Acts chapter 11, there were a few verses, most verses he, he did touch on and, and, uh, and gave us some real great insight. And I was just praying he would leave a couple, and he did, which was amazing. So um, uh, that's great. So if you turn to Acts chapter 11... Um, back to the story that we've been reading over the, va- over the past few weeks. Acts 11. Well, that's not it. Can anybody find the um, Barnabas and Saul? 13 maybe, let's have a look at that. Um. <laughs> it's in act somewhere. Oh, is there? I've just missed it. Okay, so... Um, where should we go from? Uh, 
23. When, then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage with, all, uh, with them all, with resolute heart, to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord, and he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch, and the, enchi- the entire church... Uh, where's this? Sorry. Uh, and the entire... And for the entire year, rather, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers, and the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. So we did the whole story uh, with um, Steve around Paul and Barnabas and their partnership and this beautiful thing where Barnabas gives way to, uh, to Paul and it allows him to come into and flourish in his ministry and the sense that there's no competition in that um, but there's a deferring to one another, which again is another picture of how the Father, Son and Holy Spirit work with one another. You know, there is no jealousy from the Holy Spirit when Jesus takes the centre stage uh, and vice versa. And it's this beautiful picture that they, that they sort of touch into. And, and, and Steve very much talked to us about being a Barnabas community. And in this, um, in this passage, there's this um, beautiful line where it talks about um, being full of the Spirit, full of faith, and um, enacting the risen Christ as, as hallmarks of this community where Barnabas and uh, Paul were present. And I, I really see that um, in doing what Steve has provoked us to do in terms of helping people on their journey to find who they are and maybe in the context I'm bringing this morning finding the name that God has given them finding their identity finding um, the thing that God has really put in their heart to do Um, that God gives us a hallmark of what a community looks like when it flows in this Barnabas anointing (laughs) Barnabas spirit Barnabas characteristics it's one that's full of the Holy Spirit and that doesn't mean everybody's rolling around on the floor twitching and laughing all the time it means that people are we as a community are connected to the life the presence and the voice of the Holy Spirit and uh, and that we give centrality to the voice of the Holy Spirit Um, you know if we want to if we want to be those who are the encounter for people that we'll meet, circumstances that we'll meet, places that we'll go in the context of the sort of word that I brought, we have to be those that are recognising and understanding the voice of the Holy Spirit. Um, and it's not some sort of Gnostic weird thing that only a few people get in a community. It's, it's the very ordinary and the very practical learning to live with one another, see Christ in one another, learning to um, draw on the love and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that's in our community and to recognise what's good and wholesome and noble and lovely in the lives of our friends amongst us um, and to invite people into that experience. And I, and I think that um, that's a name that's very different from the name that people find in this world because the kind of names that we recognise in this world are superstars, you know. Bill Gates and Steve Jobs and who else? (laughs) Donald Trump, if you're so inclined. (laughs) But we're modelling something completely different. Um, The Barnabas community is is not uh, obsessed with the name of the most important person, perceived most important person. They're obsessed with the name of Jesus being found in us as a community. And I think 
there's just a challenge for us um, and a real privilege and honour for us to find that name together, you know, mm-hmm. a family name together. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the lovely thing in that, in that um, bit of scripture is um, that once those hallmarks are described, it says that at Antioch, Christians were, uh, the, the believers were first called Christians. Mm-hmm. And these things provoke a name, you know, it was a derogatory comment in the first, in the, in the first century, but it's become our name, you know, it's become how we recognise ourselves. And I think that um, there's something about a community that flows in the life of the Holy Spirit, flows in um, the identity of who they are, that provokes um, external naming, you know? And sometimes we can take that on and say, yeah, yeah, that's fine. We're we're the happy, clappy crew. We are. And then we can explain why we're the happy, clappy crew. We're happy because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And uh, because Jesus has transformed our understanding from that old world system thinking to his new beautiful kingdom. Um, I I think there's there's, there's also, there was something else that just sort of struck me as I was thinking about, so what does that mean for us? And it was around, um, it was around, how uh, being careful about how we describe as a community the places where we reach you know it's really easy to um because we've all grown up in some aspect of probably all of us in this room probably in some aspect of sort of evangelicalism where we have this sort of dualistic world don't we the world the church the darkness the light um and, and our naming of other people uh, can be really detrimental as well as it being really empowering. I love what Paul does in the book of Acts, you know, where he explains the altar to the unknown God. And um, I've heard lots of religious theologizing about what that really means. But for me, it's as simple as this, that when you understand um, what God has done in bringing the whole world into an understanding of his glorious love you can be very comfortable to see jesus in everything and you can be very comfortable naming jesus in everything that's wholesome and good and lovely um and it doesn't have to have a spiritual religious name on it um you know i I was just thinking the other day about how my uh, approach to evangelism which usually was wrapped up with a lot of guilt, you know, in, in the past, because, you know, I had friends that were, um, you know, that had seen many hundreds of people saved. And, you know, I'm lucky if I can count on two hands those people that I've, that I've seen make a decision for Jesus. And I felt very inadequate, you know. And so, of course, I went on the sort of whole reactionary thing of, you know, oh, well, that's because that's not my gift, you know, and then my gift is in this area and I'm going to become proficient in this area and therefore we'll leave the evangelists to do this. And, you know, I've realised more and more that actually uh, what, what I was... Uh, maybe this is an excuse you can correct me if you think it is an excuse but um i I was obsessing with um it making me feel inadequate because i hadn't seen the numbers you know and it was all about me and nothing about those individuals um and i called them non-christians and i called them lost not because i felt compassion that they were lost in their heart because they hadn't seen the return that they could have to their father they were lost because that was a label you know they they were inadequate in some sense you know they they were out they were inadequate they were black-hearted they were unregenerate that was a beautiful word um and and my naming was so detrimental and and the friendships that i forged around evangelism were not friendships they were marketing opportunities Mm. 
you know because actually if I can connect with you and get you to say the prayer then you'll be in and you're okay because you won't go to hell um, and, and yet the, 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 the people that I've seen encounter the love of Jesus whether that's in a decision to say I, I recognise that I want my whole life to follow him or whether that's in a wow this is a, that, that's an amazing thing to do you know I didn't you tell me a bit more about that those are both parts of the same continuum of somebody finding Jesus by the way um, that they weren't premeditated they were about me recognising the goodness and the working of the Holy Spirit um, in secular or in religious contexts and I think that we as a community are being invited to recognise the beauty of Jesus in the most unreligious of places and that we get to call that sacred we get to call that holy we get to call that Jesus and in doing that we get to open people's eyes to the author and the perfecter of our faith and the author and the perfecter of the beauty that we've been able to recognise and, and I think that's something for me that's so exciting um, it means that we don't have to obsess about whether or not we've designed the greatest evangelistic campaign known to man um, and it moves us into I'm not against evangelism um, I probably am actually but I'm not against I'm not against sharing our faith with people and bringing them into the recognition of the reconciliation of Jesus um, I'm very deliberately using those words rather than other words um, but I think we as a community get the honour of taking all this stuff around naming and how exciting to be able to go into work and to be looking for where Jesus is active rather than to go into work with our battle gear on ready to, to crusade for the gospel because of all those evil, you know, lost people. Uh, you know, for, for Luke to be able to go in and to find the guy that's fixed the thing. Uh, you know, I'm running out of knowledge very quickly here <laughs> developing. But to be able to fix the bug, probably that's probably not even the right no, thing. Fix the bug and you'll be able to see Jesus in it and somebody be able to, you'll be able to call out because all of the... With the, with the the treasures of, of wisdom and understanding are hidden in Jesus and to be able to call that holy and sanctified and to be able to celebrate that and in that and in your conversation to be able to open up Christ. Mm. You know, in, 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 in Pete's world, to be able to see somebody who's designed something so exquisite that they speak of the glory and the goodness of Jesus and to be able to dialogue around that and people say, well, you got really excited about my, you know, about my own, uh, my, my drawing and actually that's a bit weird because you should want to draw the best one in the, in the office and to be able to explain and give a reason for our faith which is, you know, whenever I see beauty, whenever I see something spectacular and something amazing, it's a reflection of the heavenly family and their beautiful creativity that we see in creation and, um, and that, to be able to give a reason for your faith in that context. Um, and we could go on and on and on and give examples of every single one of our worlds. But I, I think this is the call that Jesus is giving us as a naming and as a Barnabas community. To be full of the Holy Spirit, to be caught the, the, the honour of our naming confers identity. And to be able to look for where God is working and call out the beauty and the glory in that. And to see Jesus at work. Yeah. That's all I've got this morning. Hope it was a blessing in some way. Have a great rest of the week. Thank you. Amen. Same again, yeah. That one again.